Good evening. Welcome. It's great for us to be able to finish our Easter Sunday by joining in worship. Um, for those of you who are here, um, please uh, do feel free to stay for refreshments afterwards. And then we've uh, planned a time of singing, which everyone's welcome to stay to after the refreshments. If you're online, we're great, glad to have you with us and uh, hope you enjoy the worship, although I'm afraid I can't promise you any refreshments. We make an outrageous claim. What we are saying is that a man raised himself or was raised by God from the dead. That doesn't happen unless there is a God and unless there is a God who works miracles. And that really should grab our attention, shouldn't it? It really should grab our attention. If we believe in this God who raises people from the dead, then he is worthy of our worship. So let's stand and sing about the risen Christ. And the shout of hallelujah in our song should be our right reaction because there is a God in heaven and we can worship him and we can talk to him.
Let's pray. Our Lord, we are so glad that we come to the mighty God, that we are allowed to come to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. Oh Lord, we thank you that you did not stop your work once you had created this great universe. We are glad that you did not turn away from this world when you saw the way that your creatures that you had made turned away from you. Oh, we are so glad that your great love led you to send your son, your only son, who you loved, knowing how we would treat him. Oh Lord, we are shocked at how mankind can treat God who was only ever good and kind and loving and powerful. Yet we know our hearts and we know that we would have stood with them saying crucify. And we thank you that Jesus died to pay the price for all our selfishness, all our pride, all of the way that we so often turn away from you to go our own way, all the way that we are often so hateful. But today, we especially remember and we rejoice that Jesus conquered the grave. Even though all the powers of darkness, all the plans of evil men had conspired to kill him, you raised him. Oh Lord, we do thank you for that great truth. And we thank you that our Saviour is now at the right hand of the Father and that he's pleading for us and that we are urged to bring our needs, our cries, our petitions to you. Oh Lord, you know that, that many of us have things that we're guilty about. And Lord, we pray that you will give us that reassurance again that we are forgiven. That as your word tells us, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh Lord, others of us are facing big problems, big problems that we know that we cannot handle. We're not strong enough, we're not clever enough. But we are so glad we come to the God who is mighty, the God who can conquer even death. Oh Lord, we are so glad that there is nothing that our God cannot do. And so Lord, we bring 
Annie's to you, and we pray that you'll help us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, we thank you that we come to a God who speaks. We thank you that we have your reliable word. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us through your word and that you'll help John to explain it clearly and faithfully and that your Holy Spirit will take it and send it deep into our hearts so it makes a difference to the way we live our lives, the way we look at things at the way we live. Oh, finally, Lord, we, we pray that you will help us to remember that while this life is not a dress rehearsal, it is not all there is. We are living every day a day closer to the day we meet the risen Lord. Oh, Lord, we ask that each of us will be ready and that all of us will be living lives to look forward to treasure in heaven, to look forward to your well done. Oh Lord, we know that naturally that, that's not how we think, that's not how we live. So we pray that you'll pour out your spirit to make us more like Jesus and make us ready for forever. Amen. So Elijah is going to come and read to us from God's word now. Our reading this evening is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 23. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the world, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy... unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mi misinterpreting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those 
also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Thank you, Elijah. In a minute, uh, John is going to be teaching us from the passage we've just had read. But before that, let's uh, worship again as we think of the risen Lord that one day we will stand before. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. At your feet we fall, mighty risen Lord, as we come on your throne to worship you.
Now, it may seem a little bit of an odd title that we have this evening. Um, it's a, it's a, an unusual phrase. Maybe you've, you've never heard of it. You've never come across it. Christ the first fruits. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you, it conveys uh, an Easter picture. It conveys a great Easter picture. It, it points to the, the, the seismic events that we're remembering today. It points to your future if you are a believer. It points to your future if you are to become a believer. We're going to delve into uh, some of the things linked with it in this grand chapter that we had part of read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a big chapter. It's big in length. 58 verses. I think it's probably the the longest uh, uh, chapter of all the letters in the New Testament. I couldn't think of one longer. So it's a very long uh, chapter, big in length, but it's also big in significance. It's on the Easter theme of resurrection. The whole chapter, the 58 verses, are on the Easter theme of resurrection. There was obviously a lot of confusion at Corinth. And people were were saying things and puzzled by things and asking about things. Uh, We can see that from just some of the things that Paul says that were being said. For instance, in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Get these little speech bubbles within the chapter, really. And you get another one in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? They were confused, they were asking questions. And in this uh, grand chapter, Paul straightens out some of their thinking and perhaps it will straighten out or deepen some of our thinking. And in what he says, twice you come across this phrase referring to Jesus as the first fruits. You get it in verse 20. I do have your Bibles open or your apps open. We're going to be darting around different places of this chapter. The first fruits, verse 20, and in verse 23, Christ, the first fruits. Now, it's fairly easy to get the idea, isn't it? You can just split up the word first fruits. First fruits. Fruits. It might be um, the to do with actual fruit. You have some some grapes, or you have some apples, or you have some pears, and they're ahead of the game. They're the first ones to be available and ripe. They are the first fruits, and they're not the only ones. They're the ones that are first, but there's a whole orchard full. Or there's a whole vineyard full. They're the first. Fruits. It might refer to grain crops, often did in the Bible. So the farmer plants uh, the corn, some shoots come up as the harvest hymn goes, first the blade and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. One writer I read from, whose dad was a farmer, and he, he puts it nicely. He puts, each autumn my father would bring three or four ears of corn into the house 
he would show us those ears and say, there's a whole crop out there like that. It's the first fruit. There's some. There's more to come. There's a whole crop out there like that. So first fruits are, are a sample, if you like, of what's to follow. So you can think of it as a comparison, so we might be a bit more familiar with a prototype car. At the car shows, you have a prototype car and all the press and all the photos and all the glamour of the event. That's the new model, but uh, there are many more that are going to follow. It's the prototypes first. Or you think of a, a film premiere, a lot of fuss made on the first night launch of uh, a new film. There's a big do, uh, all the celebrities go and are shown being there, but the film is then going to be shown across the land. It's the first of many. Or you think of um, food samples. So a few weeks ago, we went to Borough Market in London. Perhaps you've been to Borough Market in London and you, we go, you go past the counters and sometimes there's things on the top and there's, uh, there's the one place where they're trying to get you to take some of their mushroom risotto and it looks very tasty. You can have a spoonful of the mushroom risotto. And of course, behind them, there's this massive sort of wok, if you like, with really nice done mushroom risotto. And if you have a little bit... There's lots more behind. It's just a sample of everything else. So you have this theme of the, the first fruits. And it comes up in the Bible in different ways, just as a, a sort of little side dish to think of some of those very briefly. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is the first fruits in us. It's anticipating greater blessing and experience of God and his mercy in the future. You get that in Romans 8. Maybe you can think of other first fruit references. The first Christians that are converted in the early church or in a certain area are the first fruits to Christ. First fruits are, are seen as a, often something special and were offered to God in the Old Testament and they show a principle of putting God first and honouring him. So Proverbs 3 verse 9, honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. So it has different pictures elsewhere in the Bible but here it is in the theme of resurrection, first fruits, rising from the dead. And there are two main parts to the idea which we're going to look at this evening. There are two resurrections really talked about in this chapter. The resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of Christians. And we're going to think about this. We're going to draw from different parts of the chapter. But our main verses are verses 20 to 23. So let me read those through again. <coughs> But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So we're going to think first, Christ, the first fruits. 
This is what we especially remember, isn't it, today, Easter Sunday. The tomb was empty. He is not here, he has risen. Christ is risen indeed, as Christians love to say. He rose again as he said he would. And it's very, very special. Uh, there was something special about the first fruits. It was a, a reason for celebration in the Bible. There was a feast of the first fruits, a special day that was set aside to celebrate when the first fruits come. It was a day of joy. It was offered to God with joy. In Deuteronomy 26 and verse 10, you get this. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house and the Levite and the traveller who is among you. Well, the, the film premieres are a bit glitzy and a bit showy and a bit shallow, shallow and some of the car prototypes, but there's something special about the, the first one, the introduction, the first time it happens. And Christ's resurrection is very special. It overturns death. Death no longer is in charge. Christ has released its grip. It's very special. He is the first fruits. Jesus was physically alive again. His life was restored. The normal processes that there are of death and decay, which set in immediately at, at death, are reversed in the case of our Saviour. His life is restored. His strength is restored. He had a real body. He talked. He ate. He could be touched. It was recognisable as him, although obviously there was some confusion in the resurrection appearances. And as we think of the Christ, the first fruits, there's a couple of things that come out particularly in this chapter to encourage us, to put our thinking right. The first is it that it's definite. Christ's resurrection is definite. Our verse, verse 20 Starts with it being a fact. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And it's made clear in the earlier verses of this chapter. It's as if Paul's saying, if you're unsure about whether Christ rose again from the dead, I could call upon some witnesses for you. And there's not just one or two. I could uh, call on Peter, Kephas. I could call on James. I could call on the Twelve. I could call on the other apostles. I could call on 500 people who saw Christ in one instance, most of whom are still alive. I could call them and bring them here. It is a certain and definite historical event. Verses 5 to 8. And that he appeared to Kephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all 
to, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It is definite. And Easter Sunday is a time for certainty and a time to have your faith established and a time to recognise that Christianity is built on fact. Christ's resurrection, the first fruit, is definite. It happened. It was witnessed. It was as he said it would happen. But it is also not just definite, but it is massive. It is massive. The implications of what Christ did are massive and tremendous. In some of these verses, in sort of 12 to 19, he's engaging with some of their doubts and their confusion. And uh, one thing that clearly comes out of it as he sort of reasons with them is what a difference the resurrection of Jesus makes. Because he says if... And you almost feel the sadness of the, the, the way he's put in it. You've got a sad face here, really. If Christ did not rise, as he sort of puts it in his argument, in his reasoning, that preaching's a waste of time. Your faith is worth nothing. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You and I remain unforgiven. We are pathetically miserable. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Our hope is merely for this life and we're to be pitied. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But then he makes clear the basis of the evidence he's gone through, verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised. And our message is not a waste of time. And your faith is not pointless. And you, believer, are not still in your sins. And you're not in a miserable position. And your hope doesn't run dry at the end of this life. The transformation is massive. The resurrection just sort of explodes things. It's so powerful, it's so significant. Christ, the first fruits. I mentioned there was a special day of first fruits. I've done my best to do a little bit of digging into it in Leviticus 23 and read around a bit. And it, it seems reasonable to understand that the, 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 the day of the first fruits was on the first Sabbath after the Passover. That's quite interesting. How is it interesting? Well, Jesus was crucified, wasn't he? The day after the Passover. Then there was the Sabbath, the Saturday, when all was comparatively quiet. And then there was the Sunday, which would have been the day of the first fruits. And what happened? Christ rose, actually, on the day, the feast of the first fruits. Christ, the first fruits, definite, massive, a reason for Alleluia. But there's a second aspect to uh, this theme of first fruits. If we, we carry it on, 
We think about the resurrection of Christ, Christ the firstfruits. But the picture contains a second half, which we can put it like this. Christians are the follow-ons, if you like. Christians, the follow-ons. See, the celebration of, of the first fruits is not just those few fruits in themselves. It's what it signifies. First fruits are full of um, expectation and anticipation and excitement. It's not just the first few grapes the first few apples, the first few ears of corn. It's a, there's a whole crop out there. And Easter Sunday isn't just amazing as it thinks about the resurrection of Jesus. That is mind-blowing in itself. It's also a guarantee of the resurrection of others. Has a massive effect on you and me if you're a believer or if you become a believer. There's things that follow on or flow from. Like a train, you have a, the train and the power is in the first vehicle, it's the engine and uh, it goes somewhere, but other carriages are hooked up, they're linked, and where the train goes, the others follow on. And as Christ is the first fruits, so this chapter is telling us that others are going to follow it. It's just part of it. It's part of the picture. If you like, we're wrapped up in what happened on Easter Sunday. It's not just, it's a, it is a historic event. You know, you know I believe that. You know the, the Bible is clear on that. But it's not just a historic event. The implications are massive. And so as Jesus rose... From death, others will. Well, who are those who will? Verse 23, they're those who belong to Christ. At the start of the chapter, they're those who've received the gospel, who stand fast in the gospel. They're those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have turned and repented. Are you among them? you belong to Jesus? You're a believer? Have you received the gospel? If so, then, then these things are about you. And uh, if that's not the case, then it should be a big concern for you to know that you are in that safe place. And as we look at the, the, the great teaching we have in this chapter about the, the follow-ons, the others, the Christians who will also rise from the dead. We see a couple of things I want to pick out. That their resurrection, grasp this, is as certain as his. Your resurrection believer is as certain as his. I don't know which people, which today people find uh, more difficult to grasp uh, the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrection of believers. But it seems to be that the people that um, he's writing to 
Well, they didn't doubt Christ's resurrection. How could they? There were lots of witnesses around. That wasn't an issue for them. They knew Jesus had risen from the dead. But they did doubt the resurrection of Christians. You saw it in verse 12. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Perhaps they thought death was the end for them. Yes, it's wonderful to think of Jesus rising again from the dead, but for me, when I get to my allotted span, when I hit 70 or earlier, uh, that's finished. And maybe you're tempted to think, well, death, death is the end. It all finishes at the end of this life. But Paul says, no, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Christians go hand in hand. They're, they're linked together. If you deny the resurrection of Christians, you're saying that Christ didn't rise. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You can't have one without the other. They're a pair. They go together. And so, as on this day, we sometimes feel a sense of certainty, and we, we sing, no more we doubt you, glorious prince of life. And we feel the certainty of the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. It sort of has an echo, which is really saying that you too can be certain about yourself and your future. As you don't doubt who Jesus is, who rose again from the dead, so you no need to doubt your future. They are inextricably linked. They're fixed together. It's a day to be certain about Christ. It's a day to be certain about our future, if you're a believer. He makes here the comparison with Adam, if you've got your mind around this. Adam died physically, and it's as if we're all linked to him. The first man, Adam, died physically, and... It's as if he's the engine driver, if you like, and our, we're like carriages attached, and, and Adam has gone through his disobedience towards the city of death, and he's taken us down there with, her, with him. But according to the Bible teaching, there's a second key figure for humanity, a second Adam. We sometimes sing about it in that that uh, great song about creation sings. We sing, a second Adam walked the earth whose blameless life would break the curse, whose death would set us free to live with him eternally. The second Adam is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, come to earth. And it's as if he is the engine driver to... Who, who links up, if you like, believers as carriages attached to the power of his resurrection and he takes them out of the city of death and they're delivered. Verses 21 and 22 in the middle of our set of four verses. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Perhaps you sometimes wonder 
They're not particularly nice thoughts to think. I don't know quite how morbid your thoughts are, how realistic your thoughts are. Maybe sometimes you wonder, well, you think about, well, where you, where you might die and, and, and when you might die and, and how you might die. Well, this teaching reminds us really that it, it doesn't really matter where we die and when we die and how we die in the sense that our future is certain. There is resurrection. The bodies of believers, well, they, they may deteriorate gradually in old age, they may be sadly um, killed in an industrial accident in a factory. They may be brutally murdered at a crime scene. But their future is certain. Their follow-ons. They're linked to Christ who has been raised. They have a risen future, no matter how things end in this life. There's a second thought that comes into it as well as we think of the Christ of Christians as the follow-ons. And that's this, and this is contained in the first fruits imagery. It's definite. We will we will follow on, but also our resurrection will be similar to his. Similar to his. The first fruits, doesn't it? It gives an idea of, of what's to follow. There's going to be, there's going to, if it's grain, there's going to be more grain. If it's apples, there's going to be more apples. If it's pears, there's going to be more pears. What the fruit is and the first fruits is, is what the rest is going to be. The prototype at the, the, the car show, that's what's going to come off the factory line. The film premiere is going to be the same film shown in, in Blackpool and Bogner. The risotto that you taste as you go past Borough Market, it's the same stuff that there is in this big pan behind. And uh, there's lots, isn't there, we don't know about our final resurrection bodies. But when Jesus comes again, Believers will be raised. And the biggest idea of what it's like you get really is the resurrected body of Jesus, isn't it? Philippians 3, 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, what, what clues do we get about Christ's glorified body? That, that's our future. As he's the first fruits, we're the follow-ons. Well, he ate. He walked cooked breakfast, he talked, people knew it was him. The final 
resurrection experience is a wonderful experience, you know. He had a glimpse of it in this chapter in verses 42 and 43. I love these verses. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown in perishable, it is raised in imperishable. Won't die again. It is sown in dishonour. Somebody so frail towards the end of their life, so weak, it is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Verse 49 shows the link with Christ. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The resurrected Christ, if you like, is, is the pattern, is the prototype for our future. Yeah, we're not, we're not Christ, we're not, we're not a glorious son of God in the way, but his, his resurrection as a human is the pattern, is the prototype, is the first fruits. And that's wonderfully encouraging. Now, if you think about this, sometimes our views of the future are a bit too sort of mysterious and mystical, more so than the, the Bible is. It's going to be a new creation, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to live in it finally in resurrected, glorified bodies. This is definite. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what follows on when you have a saviour like Jesus who rose again from the dead. I was typing in, so I was Googling, trying to get a, a hymn on the theme of first fruits. I thought I had one in mind, but I obviously, I obviously didn't. But I came across a different one, a song uh, by Glenn Scrivener. Some of you may have heard of Glenn Scrivener. He's an evangelist based in Eastbourne. And he's got a song on first fruits. You can, you can look it up on the net if you want. It's actually it's worth listening to a couple of times. But let me give you the words. First fruits, taste of tomorrow. First fruits, hope when there's sorrow. Jesus rose up from the dead to show all his people the world that lies ahead. It was country walks and heartwarming talks, mind-blowing preaches and breakfast on beaches, feasting and family and peace and grace, and Jesus, our battle-scarred brother, face to face. I'll read it again. First fruits, taste of tomorrow. First fruits, hope when there's sorrow. Jesus rose up from the dead to show all his people the world that lies ahead. It was country walks and heartwarming talks, mind-blowing preaches and breakfast on beaches, feasting and family and peace and grace and Jesus, our battlefield brother, face to face. Christ the first fruits, Christians the follow-ons. We do need to get a good grasp, don't you, of our, of our future. Immediately when we pass away, if we're believers, it's wonderful. We are with Christ, which is far better. We are with Christ in paradise. We are, it says, at home with the Lord. But the Bible also makes clear that upon Christ's coming... We are reunited with a resurrected body. If you like, it'll be humanity 2.0. It'll be you, Mark 2, 
different, glorified, transformed like his glorious body. Think how many things you will lose of uh, your frailty and your mortality and your limitations and your weaknesses. It's beyond our understanding. But whether that is the case, we sometimes use the phrase, don't we, somebody is a shadow of their former self. <coughs> Might have somebody who's struggling with a zimmer across the lounge. Uh, he used to be an athlete. So he's just a... They're just a shadow of their former self. They're, they're mentally forgetful and confused, and yet, uh, you know, they, they used to win all the quizzes. Um, they need help with some of the basics of life, and that they used to run a busy family life or a business. And you say they're just a shadow of their former self. Well, somebody put it this way, I thought it was really helpful. In a way, what we, we can say of ourselves now is that we are a shadow of our future selves. We're a shadow of our future selves. And that would be certainly true of those in their weakness, Zimmer frame across the lounge, forgetful and confused, needing help with the basics of life. They're, they're a shadow of their future self as somebody who will be raised by Christ's power. But it's also true of us. The prime of life, if you're in the prime of life, in good health, you're still now a shadow of your future self. You have struggles physically. You have struggles mentally. You have struggles socially. But what is to come is so different. You, Mark too, glorified body because of the resurrection power of Christ working in you. Christians are the follow-ons. So we've had two great aspects of this theme. Christ, his resurrection, the first fruit, definite, massive in its implications. Christians are follow-ons. As certain as his and similar to his. And two things we go away with. One is to be thoughtful. Are we linked to Jesus? Are we in him? Do we belong to Christ? This wonderful description I've just given of the resurrection future, is it yours? Because you know Jesus as your saviour and Lord? If that's not the case, and I haven't been describing your future as it stands at the minute, as far as we can see it. You need to find yourself in a safe place by trusting Christ who rose from the dead and find forgiveness through him. You should be thoughtful. But we should also be thankful. We should be thankful. The chapter ends in two ways. I suspect we'll be picking up some of these things in the home groups as we look at probably the end of the chapter in home groups, those that are in them or want to join them on Thursday. And there's two particular ways that it leaves us, but one of them is this, and it's in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness, victory through Christ, all of that future, true, 
because he came down, died on the cross, rose again from the dead. So we give thanks to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know quite a few this evening are hoping to stay on for a time of Easter praise. And that's very suitable for thinking of the resurrection. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the first fruits. Hopefully that phrase means a bit more to you now than perhaps it did earlier in the day. Thanks be to God, one of the places it leaves us. Let's have a little quiet before we sing our last hymn, just to pray personally. Well, our last song, filled with hope, built on that resurrection theme, takes us to the point of looking forward to the coming of Christ when these things will be fulfilled. Rejoicing in hope, we wait for our King. His coming is sure, his conquest we sing, his hour of returning draws daily more near. With hearts hushed and burning, we see him appear.
thank you for the day of resurrection to rejoice in the certainty of Christ rising from the dead and then to consider the implications for us and for our future. We thank you for a wonderful, uh, triumphant, victorious Saviour and praise you for him. Amen.